Hi, friends. This is Pastor Dan Jackson. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Jacobswell Church. My hope and prayer is that this message will be a blessing to you and lead you into worshiping and enjoying our great and gracious God. With that said, let me encourage you to use this message as a supplement to and not a replacement. Just wanted to note for next Sunday, uh, pre-K through third grade will only be offered during first service, not during the second service uh, on January 1st. So wanted to note that. Also, uh, the sermon will be shorter today uh, and because we got kids in here and if the kids are a little squirrely, that's totally fine. Uh, out in the atrium, we have a TV with audio out there and you can step out there as well. Uh, if your kids need to move around a little bit, that's completely fine. So uh, if you would, please open your Bibles to Luke chapter 2. By the way, if you don't have a Bible, you'll need a Bible. Um, if you could raise your hand, uh, Pastor David or Pastor Spencer will bring you a Bible. And so if you, could, if you need a Bible, go ahead and raise. You will need a Bible. If you don't have a Bible, please be sure you raise your hand and they will bring you a Bible. If you don't own a Bible, that is a gift for you to keep from Jacob's Well Church. If you would open up to Luke chapter 2, it is page 857 in the Red Bible. Luke chapter 2, page 857 in the Red Bible. Uh, Today we're going to focus on verses 8 through 14, but want to start by reading verses 1 through 7, and I think you will tell why. So page 857 in the Red Bible, Luke chapter 2. So let's start with verses 1 through 7. In those days, the decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quinarius was governor of Syria, and all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed. Who was with child. And while they were there, the time came to her, for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. Let me ask you how does your family do Christmas? Uh, growing up, we had a huge Christmas Uh, as a family. It was a really big deal for us. I've shared some of this with you before, but I remember uh, being the youngest of five kids, we'd wake up Christmas morning and we would sit at the top of the stairs and mom and dad would pass by us and go down the stairs and they would get everything ready for us, get the lights turned on. And finally they would say, okay, you can come down. And we would run down the stairs and we would be crawling over each other and wrestling each other and shoving each other's faces into the carpet just to get to the stock first, see which one looked the best, take it down, empty it out, start eating. And then we would quickly move into the living room where the Christmas tree was, and there was a ton of gifts. Uh, our parents didn't buy us a lot of stuff throughout the year. They kind of saved everything for Christmas time. So we'd have anything from socks to scooters under the Christmas tree. And it was very methodical the way that we did it. We would go from youngest to oldest, which served me well because I was the youngest, and you would have to go and find a gift with your name on it under the Christmas tree, and you would bring it back, and while everyone was watching, you would feel the gift, and you'd have to try to guess what the gift was, and so you'd say, do I use it outside? Do I use it in my room? And all these types of things, and when you would get close, they would say, just open it. And so to open a single gift would take anywhere from 13 seconds to 13 minutes, Um, and so our Christmas would last hours 
And I loved it personally, but it would last hours. And then finally in the afternoon, we would eat and play with our toys and stuff. And I thought this is how everybody does Christmas. That's the only thing I knew until I got married. And when I got married, I went to my in-laws' house and saw how they did Christmas. And theirs is a much more peaceful Christmas. My family's kind of crazy, but it's much more peaceful. They wake up, they go downstairs, they have nice Christmas music on, and they open their stockings, and they're very thankful and very quiet. And then they take like a two to three hour break to make breakfast and eat breakfast. And then they come back downstairs, and they open their gifts, and the whole thing lasts about 10 minutes, and they're done with Christmas. And I remember the first time I experienced is thinking to myself, no one taught them how to do Christmas. Like, they don't, they don't know how to do Christmas right. They, they're not guessing what's inside the present. And I just thought it was the strangest thing in the world. You know, I know many of you have Christmas traditions. You read from Luke chapter 2, which is a beautiful way to start the Christmas day. Some of you have a birthday cake, and you sing happy birthday to Jesus. I know others of you, actually, the kids sleep under the Christmas tree, and then you order Chinese takeout, and that is your Christmas tradition. We all do Christmas differently, and yet there is one thing all of us are called to do the Christmas season, and today's passage reminds us of what our top priority is and what our top privilege is during the Christmas season. And so let's continue in the Luke chapter 2 passage and see how they celebrated that first Christmas day, how they celebrated the birth of Jesus, and let it remind us how we should do the same. So let's continue verse 8 through 14 in Luke chapter 2. It says, and in the same region there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this Christmas season. We thank you for this season where we get to focus on the incarnation of Jesus, that you became a man to come for us. What a marvelous thought. Who are we that you would leave the glory of heaven to come into this world? And yet you did so because you love us so much. And we're so thankful for that. Help our hearts to be set aflame this Christmas day with a reminder of how great this Christmas gift is. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we have sung a lot of Christmas songs. One of those is, O Come, All Ye Faithful. Joyful and triumphant, come and behold him, born the king of angels, and then that repetition, O come, let us adore him, O come, let us adore him, O come, let us adore him, Christ the Lord. This is our priority, this is our privilege at Christmas time, no matter how we do Christmas, is to come and to adore this child, Jesus. 
Now, when we hear the word adore, we may think adorable and think of a, you know, a, a basket full of kittens or something like that. But biblically, to adore means something so much more than that. Webster's Bible Dictionary says to adore is to worship with profound reverence, with exalted thoughts, with prayer and thanksgiving. To adore is to give divine honor and praise. To adore is to love in the highest degree with great affection. As we look at the biblical account of the birth of Jesus, we see many people adoring this child. We see Mary, the mother of Jesus, adoring Jesus through song, even while he is in the womb. And then even John the Baptist adores Jesus by leaping when Mary comes to visit with Jesus in her womb. Of course, after the birth of Jesus, the wise men come from the east and they adore Jesus with their treasures. All of these adored Jesus. But the ones who probably adored Jesus with the greatest clarity, with the greatest knowledge of what in the world was going on on this first Christmas day was probably the extraterrestrials. You have that in your Christmas story, the, the, the Christmas story with the extraterrestrials? It is those who are from out of this world. Those who came from heaven above, those who have dwelt in the throne room of God. If anyone could show us how we ought to adore Jesus at Christmas, it is the angels. Now I have a confession to make. I am no angel, just in case you did not know. And every year I find it hard to focus on Christ in Christmas. I find it, I have to, I have to volitionally work hard to focus on Christ and to enjoy Christ and to adore Christ at the Christmas season because it is a busy season of the year with more church services and more gatherings and more plans to make for, for family and things like that. It is, it is hard to be still and to adore Christ. And maybe you can resonate with that. Maybe this Christmas season has been very busy doing everything that needs to be done for the Christmas seasons. And so my hope for us is that even during this place where we have come to be still, that we would adore Christ like the angels. And so let the angels... Let the angels inform our minds and our hearts on why we should adore Jesus, that we might follow their pattern. And really, it's found for us here in verse 10 and 11. It says, And the angels said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news, gospel news, of great joy that will be for all the people, not just for the Jews, but for the Gentiles, for people from every tribe, tongue, and nation. And here is what makes the angels adore the Jesus child. It says, For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. The angels are, 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 are adoring this child because of who this child is. There are three titles given to this child by the angels. Savior, Christ, and Lord. And these are titles given to Jesus that may have become commonplace to us, but would make the angels overflow with celebration. And so I want to take some time to dive into those three titles very briefly today to see why they would make us overflow in adoration as well. So first, like the angels, we ought to adore Jesus as Lord. We're going to go in reverse order here. The term Lord is something that we don't use very often here. I don't think uh, you call people Lord very often, but in England and Wales, it was a way that they would address their king as my Lord. It was a title that acknowledged their authority and dominion and control. In the Old Testament, the title 
Lord is given to God himself. But now Lord is applied to this fragile, helpless baby, Jesus. This word comes from a Greek word, kurios. And kurios is defined in this way as a title of honor, expressive of respect and reverence with which servants greet their master. The owner, one who has control over the person, the master, and then in the state, talking about kingdom, nation, government, the sovereign prince, chief emperor. And then here's my favorite definition of it. He to whom a person belongs. He to whom a person belongs, about which has power of deciding. Now I realize that to have someone else lord over your life might feel enslaving. It might feel oppressive. But it is exactly the opposite with Jesus. You know, I've had many conversations with people in their 40s and their 50s who have chosen to be lord over their own life their entire life. And I will ask them, how's that going for you? And almost every time they will say, not very good. You see, we don't make a very good Lord over our life, but Jesus is a happy Lord over our life because Jesus is a much better Lord over our life than we are. I mean, Jesus is a wiser Lord than you are. I mean, do you know all things in all places at all times? Certainly not, but Jesus does. Jesus is a more gracious Lord than you are. He is quicker to forgive you than you are to forgive yourself. Jesus is a more powerful Lord than you are. Not only can he calm a raging storm, but he has defeated Satan, sin, and death, things that you have no power over. And Jesus is a more loving Lord than you are. Jesus loves you more than you love you. I don't know if you've ever seen the movie Toy Story. I think it's one of those great films that both kids and adults both like. But in the movie, there are times where the toys start to get insecure and wonder if they are loved, if they are cared for, wondering if they have been abandoned. And when they are feeling that time of insecurity, do you remember what they do in that moment to remind themselves of their position? Do you remember what they do? What they do is they grab their foot and they look at their shoe, which is harder to do when you're 44, but they grab their foot and they look, they look at the bottom of their shoe and in permanent marker on the bottom of their shoe, is the name Andy. And it reminds them to whom they belong. It reminds them who is their master, who is their Lord. And it is a joyful reminder to them. They love that Andy is their Lord and their master. And so when the angels proclaim that Jesus is Lord, they're saying to the shepherds, this is the guy that we belong to. He is our master. And they celebrate it. And so if you're here today, and you consider yourself a Christian, the Lord Jesus already has his name on you. Christ in Christian, little Christ. You bear the name of Jesus. He is your Lord. It is to him that you belong. Like the angels, we ought to adore Jesus as Lord. But we also ought to adore Jesus as the Christ. The Christ the, the name Christ comes from the Greek word Christos, which means anointed or Messiah. When an angel announced that Jesus as the Christ, the angel is announcing that Jesus is not a anointed one, but the anointed one. Jesus is the anointed one that all the anointed ones from the Old Testament pointed to. 
You see, in the Old Testament, when God had chosen someone for a special purpose, he would have them anointed with oil. And there were three major places, three major offices where people would be anointed. It would be for to be a prophet in the kingdom, to be a priest in the kingdom, or to be a king in the kingdom, a prophet, priest, or king. But never all three of them, just one of them. And yet Jesus has come as the anointed one who is prophet, priest, and king. See, Jesus is the ultimate anointed prophet because Jesus not only proclaims God's word, Jesus is God's word. Jesus is the good news of the gospel in the flesh. Jesus is the ultimate anointed priest because Jesus did not repeatedly sacrifice animals for sins, rather gave himself as a once and forever sacrifice for our sins. And Jesus is the ultimate anointed king, ruling over all of creation for his glory and for our good. And he continues to reign today and will reign when he returns and makes all things whole again. The angels adore Jesus with great joy because Jesus is the anointed Messiah that the people of God have been longing for ever since Genesis 3.15 when he was promised to come and to redeem the world. You know, it says in here that it also notes that he was born in the town of David, the town of Bethlehem, reminding us of what we studied this past semester in 2 Samuel 7, that he is the prophesied son of David who would come and be the son of God, who would establish the kingdom of God, and who would reign righteously over it for all eternity. And so Jesus is the ultimate bundle of joy because he is the Christ, the anointed one, the Messiah, the one that the people of God had longed for for thousands of years and now long to return once again. And so we should pursue as a privilege, but also as an obligation this Christmas day to adore Christ Because he is the Lord, it is to him whom we belong. Because he is the Christ, the anointed one that that our hearts long for. But finally, because Jesus is the Savior. The Greek word for Savior is soter. And it not only means Savior, but it also means to deliver or preserve, preserver. In the Old Testament, prior to the coming of Jesus, this phrase was used of God. In Isaiah 43, it says, For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. Not only that, but God claims exclusive rights to this title, Soter, Savior. Isaiah 43 continues, and he says, I am the Lord, and besides me, there is no Savior. Hosea 13, But I am the Lord your God from the land of Egypt. You know no God but me, and besides me, there is no Savior. And so the Lord says, I am the only Savior for the people of God, and yet now the angels proclaim as instructed by the Lord that this baby in a manger is the Savior of the world. Now what makes Jesus the Savior? What does he save us from? What does he save us to? Well, we get a hint of this here in verse 14. They say, glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. The angels are praising God because this Christ child has come to bring peace. And why do we celebrate God's gift of peace at the birth of Jesus? Well, although we may not identify ourselves this way or recognize this, the Bible tells us that we are born enemies at God, at at, at enmity with God, because we have chosen to be Lord over our own life. We have rejected the creator and decided to take our own path and pursue it through sinful means. And so we have committed cosmic treason, and as treason people, we deserve the death 
penalty. But through the scriptures, what we see is this becomes evident to people, although we may not initially understand this, it becomes evident to anyone who comes to encounter an angel. You see, an angel wasn't simply a baby on a cloud playing a harp. An angel was this magnificent and awesome and frightful creature that displayed the glory of God. Whenever an angel appears, the the angel says, fear not. And then they have to say, fear not, because when they see the brilliance of the angel, two things overwhelm them. One is the awesome holiness of God that is reflecting off of the angel. But the second is the horrible sinfulness of their own condition. And they crumble in the midst of a holy angel. And so when the, when the shepherds see the angels and then hear the hosts of warrior angels, they may have assumed that the angels had come to wage war against them, to pay them back for their betrayal, to enact God's judge, judgment of death upon their sin. That might be what they had come for, they may have thought. But we look here at the warrior angels and they say, fear not. Why not? Because God has come in the flesh and a baby, Jesus, not to smite sinners like you and me, but to save sinners like you and me. Not to bring vengeance upon sinners, but to secure peace with sinners. You see, this baby, baby Jesus, was born to die. He was born to to live a perfect life that we should have lived, to take our sin upon himself, to die upon the cross in our place, and then rise again on the third day to give us newness of life and to bring us peace with God. And that's why we sing, glory to the newborn king, peace on earth, mercy mild, God and sinners reconciled. Let me end with this. So one of the things I love about the Christmas season is I love Christmas songs. Not like, you know, techno Christmas song, crazy stuff like that. I'm not, I'm not a big fan of those things, but like, I love the traditional Christmas hymns that we get to sing, like we've done today, like we did last night, the joy to the world and things like that. And, and I love it because it's an opportunity really to focus my heart and my mind upon Christ. And, and I've noticed this is something that even the world appreciates. Uh, I was driving, I remember before Thanksgiving, and there was a station already playing Christmas music. And I, I thought it was illegal to do that before Thanksgiving, but now they're doing it. They're playing Christmas music before Thanksgiving. I, I was driving just our day, and they said, why can't we have Christmas music after Christmas? Why can't it be at least through New Year's? You see, I think the reason why we so much want to sing the praises of this baby is because it expresses our heart of adoration. I love how C.S. Lewis says it. He says, we delight to praise what we enjoy, whether it be a newborn baby or a home run or a girlfriend or a boyfriend. We delight to praise what we enjoy because the praise not merely expresses, but completes the enjoyment of it. To put it in the language of today's passage, we love to praise what we adore Because praise not merely expresses our adoration, but it actually completes it. And that's what we see the angels doing in this passage. Could you imagine being in that field? It is dark, it is quiet, it is sleepy. And all of a sudden, a single angel appears and says, don't be afraid, don't be afraid, don't be afraid. Not here to spite you, right? Don't be afraid. I have good news of great joy that in the town of David, a 
Savior has been born, the Christ, the King. This is good news. And then he says, here's how you can find him. Go and find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger, not where babies would normally lie. But then after that announcement is made, before the shepherds leave, there is the first Christmas choir in the history of the world. We read about in verse 13, and suddenly there was with the angel, the single angel, a multitude a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. Could you imagine seeing the sky filled with heavenly creatures praising God, adoring this baby Jesus? And in a little bit, we will get to sing a final song to express our adoration and complete our adoration of this child. And we'll sing, Oh, come, let us adore him. And as we sing this song, what is so beautiful is not only are we expressing the adoration in our heart, but we are expressing this adoration corporately as a church body here at Jacob's Well Church, but also with the church throughout the world and throughout history. And so we sing with the saints today, the saints of yesterday, but as we sing, we also sing with angels. We sing with the choir of angels adoring this child, Jesus, because Jesus is the Lord to whom we belong. He is the Christ, the long-awaited Messiah, and he is the Savior who has died and risen on our behalf to bring us peace with God forever. Let's pray. Lord God, we are so thankful that Jesus is worth celebrating. We're so thankful that you sent him into this world to rescue us, to draw us to yourself, that you did not come to smite us, but to save us, to pour out your love and grace upon us. How wonderful this is. Help us, Lord. We are a distracted people. Help us to adore Jesus, no matter what we're doing. Pray even for a few moments of, of solitude today for us, that we might be able to focus on this greatest gift of all, this gift of Christ. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. If you're here today and you